Let's try it one more time. Good afternoon. Yes. Wow, the, whose class is that? Okay. Love it. Welcome to Forest Community Church. First Sunday of not just July, but first Sunday of the second half of 2022. We are so excited that you are here, and we praise God for this uh, second half. You know, I'm a soccer fan, soccer fan, as I said before. In soccer, second half, that's when the game is decided. So no matter how was your first year and a half of the year was, let's make a second half. It's a truly time of uh, you know, celebration and encouragement. We have a, a lot of members, I know, regular even leaders are traveling around. Meantime, we have a lot of true friends who are visiting us in Texas in, in summer. So I don't know who is new, who is, uh, I know some also family members are here. So instead of just introducing, let's assume everybody knew. So let's all stand and welcome each other. Happy July 4th weekend. Go around and say hello to everyone. At least, you know, five, five people that you don't know. Go and say hello. Happy July 4th weekend. Happy July 4th weekend. Go around. Joshi Hong, come, come church early on time next time to welcome some of your friends. Now, let us all stand. Let's begin our worship with a respect, uh, res responsive reading from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountain. From where does my help come? We look not to the mountains or valleys, even heaven or earth. Wherever two or three gathered in Christ's name. Come, let us worship God of creation, God of people, God of community. Let us follow Jesus, for Jesus is the way. Let us worship together in faith. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your providence, for the independence of our nation. We praise you for your faithful, compassionate, and merciful God. We are so blessed to live in the country where freedom of religion is a core value, and there are many who love Jesus. Now help us not to be arrogant or falsely confident with a number of churches and Christians in our nation because it is not us, but your holy presence that makes our country just and peaceful. Help our Christians not to confuse true patriotism with nationalism. Help us to love our neighbors and even aliens as you love us. May the name of your Son and our Savior be proclaimed in a more loving and caring ways 
than any political manifestations and legal maneuvers. Have mercy on the United States of America and all of us so that we can safe and just lead a free world and can deter the constant threat of totalitarians and fascists with your truth and justice. All this we pray in the most hopeful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us worship the Lord. creation of water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are Your Majesty. 
uh, these next two songs we're gonna sing, I really want you to focus on the, the lyrics and the message that it delivers to us. Not that it was really good.
so grateful for the blessing of this Sunday afternoon you have given us. For this church building and our church family that you have blessed us with, we thank you. As we walk into this place, humble us, reminding that we are undeserving of your grace and mercy and all the blessings we have in our lives. We sin against you time and time again, and yet you embrace and welcome us back with open arms, showing forgiveness and unconditional love. And we are in awe of such a loving God who accepts us as we are, wherever we are, however we are. We want to lift up Ukraine. There are so many precious lives that have already been lost and this war has gone on too long. Please place your peace into the leaders' hearts so that this war may come to an end. We want to also lift up North Korea, the future of the country and hopes for religious freedom. We especially want to lift up those in need of healing for Sarah and her continued journey toward physical and spiritual recovery, for Sarah's mom and her knees, for those in our FCC family with family members battling cancer. You are the ultimate healer, and we entrust your children to your care. We also want to pray for Solji and a continued healthy pregnancy. We are so thankful for all our FCC children, who are also our VIPs. Please help us as parents, aunts and uncles, and a church community to raise these children you have blessed us with in wisdom and prayer, seeking your guidance as we teach them about your love and sacrifice and the hope of eternal life. Please be with your youth as well, our youth as well, as they mature into our own, their own persons and that they may always be reminded that you walk with them daily. Help our youth to be bold and grow into strong leaders in their school communities, knowing their confidence comes from you. We lift up our mission partners all around the world as they take the courageous step each day to be your hands and feet in places where there is such darkness. With the coronavirus still present, please be with our partners and that these, this virus may not hinder your word being spoken and shared. Please give them physical health and strength to continue to be your light in these countries and cities. And as we pray for our mission partners together as house churches, we are so grateful that you have blessed our house church ministry. As we seek to continue to grow, help us all to be united, recognizing that our calling as believers is not to solely support these mission partners with prayer, but to do our part by reaching out and praying for our own VIPs. Give us the courage in our workplaces, schools, neighborhoods to share our own stories and the hope we have because of the love of your son and the sacrifice he made for us all. Help us to share, reminding that these are not just coworkers or fellow students, but that they are your children whom you love. Help us, all to, help us all to also stay strong in our commitment to showing up each week, even during the summer months, and that our bowling event may be a time where we can invite and fellowship with our VIPs. We also want to thank you for the congregations who shared this building with us. 
for the Arabic Baptist Church and the Brazil Baptist Church and the generosity of First Baptist Church of Plano. Be with us all as we seek to further your kingdom as we share this physical space. We lift up Pastor Paul as he delivers your word. Please give him clarity and wisdom to relay the message you want each of us to hear today. You know where we are in our lives and the message we seek. Please give us the ears to hear and soften our hearts to your message. Now, as we give this offering, please help us to freely give a portion of all that you have provided. And may this collective offering help to further your kingdom and go to those in need. We thank you again for choosing us as your children and welcome, welcoming us into your eternal family through the gift and sacrifice of your son. And with our humble hearts, we come to you with this prayer in his precious name. Amen. Thank you, Ginny, for the prayer. And also thank you, Sam, and everyone for the wonderful, inspiring uh, praise today. Children, you may follow your teachers to Sunday school. And those of you who are not here with us but streaming our worship service, we ask you to uh, check the, uh, uh, the, if you do uh, face, uh, Facebook or YouTube, the uh, like one. That's how we check the attendance. So please check that one. And the last week, we apologize that uh, FBC, First Baptist you know, uh, streaming uh, engineer forgot and uh, locked out, and so we couldn't continue to use. So last week, there was no streaming service. But today, everything is working. Okay. We've been studying sinful failures and tragic falls of a King David in detail. Starting today, we will go deeper into the darker story of a David and his family from 2 Samuel chapter 13. I want you to know that this dark series is hard for me for two reasons. First of all, first off, there are not many sermons and exegetical works for these stories that I can use as a reference point. Many books about David skip this rather depressing, dragging story of a human depravity. After the story of David's adultery with Bathsheba, many well-known preachers, they move quickly to the end of David's life. A greater difficulty for me actually comes from the grave gravity of uh, importance, the important gravity of the topics rendered by stories. We are going to read and face the uncomfortable topics such as sexual assault, assault incest, manipulation, and murder. So some of you might wonder, is this a Bible or Game of the Throne? You know, shockingly, one was a fiction, the other one was a fact and a real story. So I want to give you a warning that today's story and topic can be very hard, especially if some of you ever experienced something similar to what we're going, we are about to look at. But at the same time, I want to tell you there is a hope. There is a reason why this kind of horror story is in the scripture. So I hope you are touched by the Spirit of God through His Word. And by the way, I was almost tempted to preach something more positive today in the lieu of a July 4th weekend. Then I realized that more than ever, instead of a usual celebration of our country's birthday and great history, I think we need to critically cherish and cherish our democratic tradition. 
because it's more fragile than ever. And many historians, especially presidential historians and political pundits, they say America is no longer in the 9-11th era, but a January 6th era. 9-11's terrorist attack was an external threat, but January 6th insurrection was an internal threat. And every great nation and civilization usually fall apart internally rather than externally. So in this sense, this study of uh, Davis' tragedies can be prophetic and profitable to all of us. With that, we're going to read our passage today first. This is a rather long passage, for, you know, chapter 13, verse 1 to 22. But I believe the gravity of a topic demands us to read a whole story completely first. So do you all either look at the scripture or your, script, your Bible or the screen, and we're going to read responsibly, and the brothers will read first, and sisters will follow, and vice versa. So, okay, brothers ready? On one, two, three. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became obsessed with his sister Tamar, that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare a food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his side, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but refused it. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, 
sending me away would be a greater wrong than that what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, Get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing her own a robe, for this was a kind of a garment the virgin daughters of a king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the owner's robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping loud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to a heart. And Tama lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. Together, and Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because as a disgrace, his sister Tamar. Do you feel what we just read is too raw, too raw and repulsive? Then you should be also note that this story is rare, rare in ancient literature, especially in religious literature. No ancient religious tradition in the world has this kind of real graphic account of a rape. Here we must recognize an important fact about our scripture that the Bible is the most honest book of all. Bible tells us the truth without any disguise, any disinfection. It does not sanitize and artificially create some human you know, heroes. Tells us the honest truth about all human beings. That's why in many legal proceedings in America, we see people making sworn statements by putting their hands on the Bible and saying, whole truth, nothing but the truth. Bible is nothing but the truth about us. You know, once again, I have read any rape account in Confucian books and Buddhist script and ancient Greco-Roman mythology and some Indian you know, mythologies have stories of rapes, but usually that's the rapes of goddesses. So it's more like a metaphorical. Whereas what we today in the Bible is a real story that happened to real people. It's so real that I call it the biblical mythos story. Biblical mythos story. In my reading, this is the first real, actual mythos story in history. And the most shocking part of this mythos story in the Bible is it happened in the family of David, man after God's heart. So, what are we supposed to do this a biblical mythos story? One woman theologian gives us a very good biblical spiritual guidance. Her name is Anna Carter Florence. She is a professor at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. In her book, Rehearsing Scripture, Discovering God's Word in Community, tells us the following insight and call from Tamar's story. Pretend, ask, send in, send out, take a hold, force, bolt the door, tear, cry aloud, keep quiet, remain, hate. These are the verbs in the story of a rape of a Tamar. It is a story that can be so traumatic to read. 
Since statistics tell us one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused by the age of 18 in the United States, a good portion of readers will be connecting with some hard verbs very quickly. Florence, I mean, Anna Florence is right. This story is very intense with the word, so filled with the verbs, verbs. It means the writer, holy writer, is a try to really make it something clear and assertive. Nothing passive, nothing hiding. Just bring it out, whole thing to the, you know, in front of, you know, God's presence. And the last, you know, call is this. It takes a courage to walk into this story, ask which verbs are ours. It takes a boldness to ask where the story could have gone differently if only someone had chosen a different verb. By asking such a question is our calling. Today, you and I will walk through this tough story. Some of us, it's a really painful story or memory. Ask ourselves some hard, uncomfortable questions so that we can prevent this kind of a tragedy in our life, in our community. Also, learning how to comfort any victims of a MeToo stories that we ever encounter. So in this story, we will learn three serious warnings, three serious warnings from Amnon, the perpetrator, and also three surprising comfort for Tamar, the victim. So first of all, who are the Amnon and Tamar? They're half-brother and half-sister. They have same father, David, but different mothers. Amnon was the oldest son of King David and his second wife, Ahinoam of Jezreel. And Tamar was a sister of Absalom, the surviving second son or third son of David and his fourth wife, Makkah, daughter of Talmai, king of Gesha, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 23. And they could not get married according to Old Testament, because Leviticus 18.9 said very clearly and forbid any sexual relationship between family. So do not have a sexual relationship with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same house or elsewhere. So they have sibling, they cannot be married. And here comes the first warning, which literally is too close to home. Majority of sexual crimes and offenses were committed by someone familiar than unfamiliar. Most rape is committed by someone the victim knows. In the United States, there's an organization called the RAIN, Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network, and reported 45% of sexual assault are committed by acquaintances, and additional 25% by a current or former partner. And the U.S. Department of Justice also report that 73, 73%, 73% of a sexual assault are perpetrated by non-stranger. So first warning is communal caution. Communal caution. Every community, including church, should be aware of a sexual sins and they should know what must to do. 
So what is a forest protocol when it comes to sexual misbehaviors like uh, molestation or even assault? You know, our uh, convention, the Texas Baptist, offers a ministry safe work workshop which educates the local church leaders and uh, uh, members about the proper you know, uh, theological, biblical, legal uh, pro protocols. And actually, I ask you know, Rita to share that information with the teachers. So please you know, attend the two hours training. And it is very important. I hope we never come to that kind of situation. But I must confess, I never share this with you. But uh, there's some incident in my life that happened a long time ago. It still haunts me from time to time. And today, it, uh, it did. So my first ministry in Bay Area, there was undergrad students that I haven't seen for a while. So I asked her best friend, where is she? And then her best friend said, Pastor Paul, I need to talk to you in private. And then there she told me that so-and-so was a date raped. And the perpetrator is one of our church members. He's a grad student. I know that guy. Actually, I've known him since uh, undergrad. I even went to a camping with him. So, and then problem that I had was that this particular undergrad student, she is very known to be a sexually active. And she goes out of town, you know, trip. And there's a rumor that every time she go out of the trip, out of town trip, she is basically having that encounter with the strangers. So I asked, you know, this student, the best friend, did you call police? Why didn't you call police? And then she said, it happened at the guy's apartment. And then, you know, initially, everything was going well with the dinner. And then, you know, something, one thing led to another. And that's it, how it happened. Since that guy was leaving church within a month, I kind of, I just was silent about the whole thing. It still haunts me. I don't know what was the right thing that I should have done. But now, I know. Forrest, if, I want to say, ever, if something like that happened, call police. Yes, call police. You can call me, but call police. Because any kind of sexual, you know, sexual misbehavior is actually criminal. You are qualified to call police. Don't just call pastor. When you're in the house in fire, do you call me? You don't call me. You just call the, you know, fire, you know. When you're in the accident, you call whatever, the 911, right? Of course, I can help you later, but call police. Do you hear me? Our protocol is clear. Incident like that is a criminal we don't tolerate. Call police. And we'll sort it out afterwards. We'll, we'll sort it out. Now let's read what made Amnon problematic. Verse 1. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin. It seems impossible for him to do anything to her. 
Amnon thought he was in love with Tamar. By the way, Tamar, the name means a palm tree. So probably she was a very vintage, tall, elegant, beautiful princess. And Amnon means faithful. Well, today, his behavior is nothing but faithful. And then Amnon, he confused about love and lust. He actually confuses a lust for, I mean, his lust for Tamar is a love. So what's the difference between a love and lust? Love is always sacrificial, whereas a lust is self-serving. Love is self-sacrificial, but lust is sacrificing others. Love is patient, but lust is impetuous. So love is not lust. Lust is not love. They are polar opposites. Amnon was the oldest son of David, meaning that he was a crown prince. That means, you know what? He could easily find them, almost any beautiful woman in Israel as his future wife and queen. And that's why his advisor, Jonadab, asked him, when you look at the verse 4, you know, Jonadab said, Why do you, king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Notice here. Jonadab didn't ask, what's wrong with you? Or why are you losing weight? The first thing Jonadab said was, you are king's son. Meaning that you have so many privileges and perks as a crown prince, and you you have no reason to be depressed. So we must recognize that Amnon was not a lonely, struggling single guy. He was a prince surrounded by servant, luxury, and many women of uh, his choice. You know, I bet some probably woman, some girls who would love to marry to, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, Amnon because he will be the next king. And plus, he's a son of David. And, uh, you know, David, according to the Bible, is a very good looking. And David's choice of a uh, you know, woman is also very good. So his mother probably is good looking. So Amnon must be not a bad looking guy. Bad-looking guy, crown prince, can pick girl. What's wrong with him? He was pathetic because he was a prisoner of his own lust and flesh. He confused his infatuation as a genuine love. He would do anything to satisfy his lust or love for flesh. So let me move on quickly to the what happened, the result of when he fulfilled his lust. Look at the verse 14. He re- so he brought the Tamar into room, and then he refused to listen to her, and then he raped her. And look at the immediately verse 15. Soon as he's done with the Tamar, I mean Tamar, Bible said that Amnon hated her with an intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And the Amnon said to her, "Get up and get lost." And he called his personal servant and said, "Get this woman out of my sight." and bolt the door after her. Here we see brutally naked truth about lust. Lust always results in guilt. Unlike love that produces gratitude, lust is always resulting in guilt. Why? Gratification of a flesh leaves us in shame and guilt. Flesh always disappoints us. His lust 
now drive by Amnon to the opposite direction from love to loathing. In a rage of loathing, Amnon called his servant and orders him to put this woman out and bolt the door as if she's some kind of infectious disease carrier. You know, original Hebrew text, there was no word for woman. So literally, he said, get this out of my sight. Lust totally objectifies another human being and dehumanizes a person. Now, let me point out the warning number three from Amnon. You know, my problem with Amnon is not just lust, because we all have a lust one time or another. You know, I know power of lust and temptation very well, because I had a lust. I struggled it too. Don't you think? No, I'm a man. Every man has a, this a lust problem. Don't be surprised, sisters. You also have, you know, I mean, we all have this, right? I told you, I'm from South America, you know. I went to high school in Argentina. You know, I know temptation. A lot of girls, I went to prestigious, you know, a private school. You know, girls asked me to invite me to come to their apartment, their house after school when there's nobody and teach them a math. Do you think they are really interested about learning math? Every, almost, you know, every week I say no. I went to, I'm from Bay Area. Five of a personal pastor, I mean friends that I know, left the ministry because of an extramarital affair. So much so that I, I'm not a charismatic, I almost believe there must be some kind of territorial demon in the Bay Area called a, you know, a, a, a possessing pastor with a lust. So when I left the Bay Area, I felt like, oh, I'm okay, you know, I can be, you know, I'm free from that, you know, a territorial, you know, demon. I almost, you know, and then when I finished the PhD at DBU, uh, Baylor, and then got a job in DBU, my graduate school advisor, Ralph Wood, who taught in Christian school for 40 years in West, uh, Wake Forest and Baylor, you know, he called me, and you know what advice he gave me? He actually gave me a warning. Paul, every five years you will encounter the the students, female students who are desperate, they, they will do anything. So watch out. You know, the difference between Amnon and us is that we don't act out on lust. So what made Amnon act out on his lust? That's a warning number three, which is occlusion and deception. Amnon has an advisor named Jonadab, who was son of Shimea, who was David's brother, older brother. So Amnon's older cousin, Jonadab, Bible says he was a very shrewd man. The Hebrew word for shrewd actually mentioned only twice in the Bible. First time he mentioned was Genesis chapter 3 when it described the serpent. Bible actually said crafty, crafty. You know, biblical writer pick this verb to, to describe the Jonadab to tell us this guy's idea is straight from Satan. If a Jonadab were really wise or a true good friend, he should have given Amnon a different kind of advice, like, a, you know, 
uh, real, you know, the, the book of Proverbs 5, that for our ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all our path kind of thing. Or he could say, ah, you know, oh, prince, you know, you know, oh, you like a Tamar? Come on, let me show you. Let, I know better looking girl than Tamar. Come on, come on. And then, you know, there's a Ruth. There is whatever, you know, Sarah, whatever. There is a, you know, whatever. All this is a good old, you know, Jewish girl. There's a much taller and better than, you know, whatever. Instead, Jonadab gave Amnon a plan by which Amnon could overcome all the palace protocol and he could be alone with the Tamar. So Jonadab so tell him, go to bed, pretend to be ill. When your father come, just say, I is just so, you know, I, I lost appetite. I wish I can have a bread from Tamar. Here we see a critical need of a godly friend. Jonadab was the one who clothed Amnon. And he was the difference that tipped the balance for Amnon. Amnon justified his loss for his evil, his loss with this evil advice. This is where friendship matters. This is why who we surround ourselves with matters. So for us, let me ask you, are we really godly companions or are we good old boy kind of, you know, enablers? This is why house church is critical in our life. There's another person in this story, tipped the balance for Amnon. That's a David, his father, who's been indulging him. So when David came, you know, Amnon said in verse 6, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some, you know, special bread in my side so I may eat from her hand. You know, at this point, if I were David, I said, what's wrong? Are you a baby? She has to feed you with her hand? Something is wrong with you, boy. Get up! Yeah. But David didn't question anything. Instantly send you know, word to Tamar at palace and go to your house of your brother and then prepare some food for him. You know, as we saw later, David was almost helpless whenever it comes to his children's request. He is a clueless father who indulges his sons. He failed to parent his sons. So David was deceived and inadvertently became a part of a collusion and conspiracy against the Tamar. Now, this is a really sad part. Now let us share, let us really, let me share the surprising part of the today's, today's you know, so-called biblical me too story. This is a really surprising story. So forget about all depression, but forget, pay attention here. Many biblical scholars were astonished by the direct, outspoken, almost a blunt response of a Tamar. You know, amazing truth about the Bible today is that our scripture actually gives a voice to the victims. Do you notice that? Usually victims are silenced, not in the Bible. Bible allows the victims actually shout their hurt and their pain. The holy storyteller gives us the intimate details and unfiltered emotion so that we can hear the cries of a tumor and see her calamities and then ask the ultimate question, who can comfort Tamar and all the victims of rapes and the Me Too stories? 
So let's see here her story. Christ first. Look at the verse 12. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't, uh, don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You'd be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from, from being married to you. According to biblical scholars, Tama delivered what is probably most rhetorically perfect argument in scripture. The case against the rape start to finish in seven irrefutable points. By the way, this is an astounding speech, especially when we compare her speech to silence of Bathsheba in two chapters ago. And actually, her speech here is the longest speech in the whole verbatim. And here, she made a seven you know, argument. First, no. She said, first thing she said, no, I'm saying no. Number two, she said, you are my brother. And number three, she said, you, we don't do this in Israel. That means it is now who we are. Number four, this act has an adjective that is a wicked thing. And number five, what did happen to me? I have nowhere to go. Back then, if a virgin is raped like this, she is a damaged good, and the future is a total in jeopardy. Number six, what would happen to you? You would be one of the wicked fools in Israel. Your reputation is ruined. And number seven, if it has to happen, if it's really about to happen, let's talk to at least the dad. Because, you know, he, he, he might grant us some exception. Biblical scholars, they think that this was a Thomas' last desperate ploy to deter her rapist. Because she knows that a legal is not possible, but she's so desperate that she was telling the brother, maybe king will make an exception because a pagan you know, culture, they allow you know, prince and princess to get married. Incest is a very common thing among the royal family. So maybe you know, king will make an exception. She is trying her best. Thomas' cry calls us today, listen to the very cries of many victims of rapes. We need to hear and remember them instead of ignoring them because their story makes us very uncomfortable. So I selected the four cries among many. So let's listen and learn from the, all the people who are broken and destroyed by rape. First one, I just want to sleep. A coma would be nice, or amnesia. Anything just to get rid of this, this thought whispers in my mind, did he rape my head too? Sexual assault is more than physical. Its trauma is deeply psychic, massively mental, spiritually overwhelming. You are having a nightmare. Second quote, I became what I am today at the age of 12 on a frigid overcast day in the winter of 1975. I remember the precise moment crouching behind the crumbling mud wall, peeking into the alley near the frozen creek that was a long time ago, but it's wrong what people say about the past I've learned, about how you can bury, because the past Close its way out. Looking back now, I realize I've been peeking into the deserted 
early for the last 26 years. This quote came from 38 years old rape victim who couldn't bury her pain of a rape that happened 26 years ago. Third quote, referring to rape, it almost already is bigger than everything else. It lives in front of me, behind me, next to me, inside me every single day. My schedule is dictated by it, my habits by it, even my music by it. Rape can become and often became a black hole for victims' soul. So lastly, rape is a crime against the sleep and memory. It is after image imprint itself like an irreversible negative from a camera obscure of a dream. Though their bodies would heal, their souls had sustained damage beyond compensation. So what do we do when we encounter with the evil like a rape? I think what Tama did was very courageous and critical. I want you to remember what Tama did. What did she do? That's the second surprising comfort of Tama. Verse 16, she said, no, she said to him after he raped her and tried to get rid of her, sending me away would be a greater wrong than you, what you already done to me. And then when he was finally kicked out, verse 18, she was wearing her own robe, for this was a kind of a garment the virgin daughters of king wore. Tama put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Do you know Tama fought before the assault? And the Tama also fought after the assault? The holy storyteller describes again in detail a desperate fight to keep her honor. And the important thing is that Tama did not hide her shame. You know, that means she did not blame herself. She publicly protested the crime and wrongdoing happened to her. And that was all she could do. In this sense, truly, Tama was the first person in ancient history and even history became the Me Too person, you know, Me Too spokesperson. So important. If an evil thing like that happens, it's not your fault. Don't blame yourself. Don't hate yourself. Evil happened. Melinda Gates talked about the uh, Me Too movement in this way. When it is a he said and she said, the woman cannot win. But when it is a he said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said, transparency has a chance. And light can flood to the places where abusive behavior thrives. Tama responded to the injustice and evil crime that happened to her by tearing her rope, putting ashes on her head, and taking, walking to the, the street, crying aloud as she went. You know what she was doing? She was, it was actually mourning ritual. That's what Israelites do at the funeral lamentation. And Tama was saying that my life as a princess of a king 
and virgin is dead. I'm killed. I'm murdered. My, virgin, my, my life is a murder. That's what she's saying. And this is also not only profoundly painful you know, a, a, a pro protest, but also it's a prophetic protest. Because the prophets of Israel, they often cry aloud in times of injustice. So she makes sure that everyone in the city and the palace sees and hears, even though Amnon wouldn't. And she makes sense because she's calling everyone that we are all responsible. We are all in the same community. Listen to me scream, I scream. And your eyes will be opened. So her pain was not just a personal and profound and painful, but it's ultimately prophetic. And this is my last point of today. That is our pain points out to God. So surprising comfort of Tama is that meeting her Redeemer. The story of Tama today was a nothing but tragedy because there are multiple failures in many levels for her. Look at the final, you know, concluding verses. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now. My sister, he is your brother. Don't take these things to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. By the way, this is the last time we hear about Tamar. When King David heard all this, he was furious, and Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister, Tamar. Tamar did not receive any comfort or any justice from her own family. Her brother Absalom told her to stay quiet for the time being, even though Absalom was incensed inside. And by the way, that's the next week's story. We know Absalom actually cared for Tamar because later in the 2 Samuel chapter 14, 27, Absalom had three sons and one daughter. He named that daughter after Tamar. So she wants, he wants to remember Tamar's name. So Absalom, obviously, brother, cared for her. And also Absalom provided her you know, shelter and a place to live for the rest of her life. So Absalom cared for her. What about father? David was angry, but did nothing. And people wonder why. Probably David's own guilt of adultery paralyzed him. David probably saw himself in Amnon. Amnon, just like me, had many choices, but instead he was fixated on this you know, unfortunate victim and deceived everybody. David just saw himself in there. And David couldn't. He was mad and sad and paralyzed. And David's inaction did not solve the problem, but as you know, instigated a bigger problem. And one thing we better remember is uncontested sin did not fade away, but always faster with a bigger and problem with a vengeance. David's lack of discipline brought out a greater disaster to not only his family, but his nation later. So unattended sin it's like an untreated cancer cell that later kills a whole body. So altogether, Thomas, brother, sister, earthly father, they all failed her. Nobody gave her due justice. 
and restored our honor. Where can Tama find the comfort and vindication in this utterly unjust and deep suffering of innocent? Tama was like a Job. Do you remember Job? Job also suffered innocently. And I bet Tama would love to quote Job's prayer, which is Job 19, 25, where Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on earth. Though my you know, flesh or skin be destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. This probably Tama you know, said. And Tama, yes. And for all of us, there is a Redeemer. Do you know there is a prophetic uncanny resemblance between Tama and her Redeemer and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ? Let me point out three things. First of all, both of them were sent by their father for mission. Tama was sent by Father David with a mission to help her brother, Amnon. What about Jesus? If you look at John chapter 5.30, Jesus said this, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just because I seek not to please myself, but the him who sent me. In the Gospel of John, Jesus called God the one who sent me for eight times. Both of them were sent by Father with a mission. Second of all, both were betrayed by someone who shared the bread. In Thomas' story, there was a great deal about, you know, bread mentioned, right? Verse 8, she took the, some dough, kneaded it, and made a bread in his side and baked it. And then verse 9 again, served the bread. And the verse 10, Thomas took the bread she brought, brought to her brother. There's so many mentions of bread. You know why? Prophetically makes sense. Look at John chapter 13, what Jesus said. When, some, when disciples asked which one would be betray him, which one of them would betray, Jesus said, it is one to whom I'll give this a piece of bread which I have dipped in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread he gave to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So bread was an important symbol of their betrayal. Why bread? You know, ancient people, they didn't just with anybody. They eat with the only people that you trust. Eating meal together is a very intimate, you know, relation, intimate experience and friendship. This is why we call the one who is close to us what? Companion. You know what the origin of companion? Come means together. Pan means pan in Spanish. Bread. Someone who shares bread together. That's your companion. Both Jesus and Tamar were betrayed by close friend, companion who shared the bread. And lastly, both were forcefully stripped. Jesus was stripped and crucified naked. If you look at the John chapter 19, verse 23, the soldiers crucified Jesus. They took his clothes, diving them, uh, dividing them into four shares, one for each one of them, but undergarment remaining. They stripped all and only one undergarment. That means Jesus was completely naked. 
And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it. They said to one another, let's just decide by light who will get it. This happened. The scripture might be fulfilled that they divided my clothes among them and cast lot for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. You know, amazing thing is the next verse is what? Near the cross stood his mother. Jesus got forcefully get naked, stripped, in front of his mother. His mother saw Jesus' naked body. There is actually an article called Him Too. You know, the response to Me Too story, some uh, theologian wrote the Him Too because had Jesus been a woman, definitely crucifixion will be sexually interpreted, but simply because he's a man, they were not. But the, he was arguing Jesus experienced the public shame deeper than anybody. And he was present that Jesus understand all the stigma and pain and shame the woman of a Me Too story is experienced. But good news is this. Tama thought she's the only one. But guess what? Later in, in heaven, she will meet Son of God, who exactly experienced the same thing that she did. So who would embrace the naked Son of God who was faithful to the Father's mission, yet was betrayed by a companion better and tighter than Tama? While Tama is very ineffective brother and a disappointing father, but she ultimately has the Father in heaven who heard her cries and embraced her broken heart with the naked body of his son. So, brothers and sisters, if you ever had a trauma like a trauma, I pray you also meet your Redeemer. Your Redeemer went through to embrace you. It's not your fault. He understands your pain. And the rest of us, if you feel the temptation of a lust and flesh like Amnon, let's ask God to strengthen us with his Holy Spirit and his word. And also help us remember the suffering of innocent when we misuse our life and our resource and our body. Let's pray together.